Okay, welcome everybody. This is a very special podcast. This is the Immigrant Hustle Podcast. I am your host, B Magic. As always, I got my brother Noise with me. And like you said, this is our, our very first ever live edition of the Immigrant Hustle Podcast. And it, this is in conjunction with Meta Arts Festival. This is actually the kickoff to Meta Arts. And nice. just before we begin, before we introduce our very special guest, so you can see on the side there, just want to do a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, this, as I mentioned, this is the first event of Meta Music, Media, and Arts Festival. This year is actually pivoting to online with Meta. Uh, events will be held every Tuesday and Thursday for the month of August until August 27th, and will feature artists and creators from Peel and around the GTA. Uh, this festival is prevented by Akisa, and we want to give a big shout out to our funders, the City of Brampton, the Downtown Brampton BIA, and the Canada Council of the Arts. Today's live podcast is co-presented by the Brampton Library. Shout out to the Brampton Library. Um, yes, yes. Spend a lot of time there, <laughs> still do. Um, yes, and all the library branches are currently closed to the public. They are offering curbside pickup at select locations on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays afternoons each week. With your library card and your PIN, you can place holds on the items you want to borrow and select your pickup location. You can also apply online for a library card to access digital materials and scale up to a full access card by emailing circ at bramptonlibrary.ca. Also online are the summer clubs for all ages. So there's a Brampton Brain Game for children ages 0 to 12. Teen Summer Reading Club, Adult Summer Reading Club, and fabulous virtual programs like Family Storytime and Adult Trivia. And we also post every day on social media, which you can follow at Brampton Library on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. So once again, big shout out to the Brampton Library and Meta Arts Festival and Akisa for presenting this event. And without further ado, I want to introduce our very special guest for today, um, a power couple, I would say. Yes, sir. Um, yes, yes. By, by, all, by all definitions. Um, first off, we have the, uh, a chef, entrepreneur, and the owner of Rick's Good Eats, Rick Mataru, as well as the creative director of the Glass Museum and an editor of Newest Magazine, who's also done a lot of work with Fokari Radio, uh, Harjot Komar Mataru. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. We're so excited to be here. It's our first interview together. So we're like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we had to make it special. We had to collaborate with the Brampton Library. What better way to have I your know. first interview with us? Love it. I love it. <laughs> this, this has actually been long overdue. You have been on the top of our interview list for a very long time, but we felt like we needed a special time to do it. So what better time than now? Oh, we're so honored. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. And especially with the Brampton Library, born and raised in Brampton. So, you know, big ups to, to B-Town and those repping, you know, so it's, it's always a good time. Good, good, good time to start. I love this. I love this. So we want to start this podcast as we do with every episode of the Immigrant Hustle podcast, where we like to go back and talk a little bit about your families and how your families got to Canada and where you've originated from. So, um, I guess whoever wants to go first, you know, where did your family, where's your family from? Uh, when did you arrive into Canada and where did you first settle when you got here? Yeah, so I'll start. Uh, so my family uh, came here to Toronto in 1974. So it was only my grandfather from my mom's side. So my mom's dad that came uh, to Canada to work and to find a, a home for the family and, uh, and just to basically hustle, uh, hustle his way to make sure that he, he uh, had a place here, a foundation here set uh, for a better life for his, him and his family. Um, so he worked here for a few years. And then in 1978, oh, I believe, uh, he brought his whole family down to, to Brampton, to Bramley areas. They, they moved to Toronto for, a, for like a, a couple of months and then they settled into to Bramley. Uh, and uh, it was my grandmother and her, their six children. So um, four of my Masis and two of my Mamajis. And uh, they all came here in 78. And uh, it, was, it was amazing for them. Up until 1979, my grandfather actually passed away with, they found out that he had a tumor, uh, a brain tumor. And, uh, and he passed away. And, and I think that was, you know, I never met my grandfather, but I hear so many amazing stories uh, about him. And it was such an amazing story to find out what he did to kind of set that, that path for, for his family and for us um, in Bramalee and, and Peel. And, and, you know, with him passing, it was, it was the hardest thing for, for my family to start off because all the children were young. I think my mom was 
14 at the time, 15, um, or even 16. And, and so my mom, my mom was going to high school and it's, it's crazy. I went to the same high school as my mom, Brampton Centennial. And my mom and you was going to turn her. Yeah. My, my mom and you <laughs> was going to turn her Fenton and they both had to drop out of school because they had to now work. Uh, and so, um, they started working and my mom worked at Shoppers World at Kmart. Um, and my mamaji was, I don't know where he was working, but a bunch of my mosses working at Bramley City Center at Bata, you know, just around the area. And so they worked and they, they you know, they, they struggled for a very long time. Uh, and then my, my mom got married in 1979, I believe, uh, 1979, 1980. And so my, my father came, uh, my dad came from, I believe he was in, he was in Iraq. He was working in Iraq. And so he came here in 1980 and um, he helped with the family and he started working and uh, I was born in 82. And, and after, you know, 38 years uh, of them hustling, uh, you know, and working hard and paving the pathway for us, uh, we're living a beautiful life. I'm with Joe. It's going to be 10 years of our marriage this week, day after wow. tomorrow, uh, which is amazing. Congrats. And, uh, we always, uh, you know, we always, we always look back to, to the struggle that they, they had and the hard work that they put in for us to, uh, to, to be here. And, you know, sometimes we take that for granted and sometimes we, we remember that and we, we think that because of what they did, we're here. And now we have a greater job uh, to, to make them happy, take care of them, uh, and then just keep hustling. And that's what that, that mentality is still there, to work hard, play hard, and take care of the, the people around you. So... Yeah, that's uh, that's us. That's me in a nutshell. <laughs> that's a that's a very be- uh, beautiful story that we will get into further as well. And Jolt, how about you? How about your family? Yeah, so uh, my dad's family actually uh, they come in Punjab. We go for the family too. And um, my dad, uh, my great my my great grandfather at the time had immigrated to Hong Kong, um, and from Hong Kong, um, they went back to India and realized that you know. The way they were they were working for the British, um, and so uh, they realized that Canada had more opportunities and the education was really great. So uh, my dad's uh, eldest brother came to Montreal, uh, and that is where my family first settled uh, before coming to Toronto. And that's when my dad came over as a student. He went to Humber College, um, and then that was in 1972. And so my whole family pretty much. And my, my, di- my entire dad's side was in tr- Canada, like in Mississauga, actually specifically Mississauga. By 1976, the whole family was here. So um, yeah, and then my mom came over when she got married into the family in uh, 1984. No, 1983, actually, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I was just going to say, with, with your grandfather moving to Hong Kong, was that through, um, through the military or what kind of work was he doing there? Yeah, previously, actually, he was in Shanghai. Um, and that was working uh, with the British, specifically working in British like uh, hotels and working in British um, British like um, facilities. So he was working security there. Uh, it wasn't necessarily like police because I think that was a big thing amongst um, Sikhs who were in uh, who were in service with the British was that they usually were in the military. But mine was a little more informal with security. And then from Shanghai, when the British left mainland China, they went to Hong Kong. So my grandfather, my great grandfather, then immigrated with them. Um, and so it's really interesting is that. Um, the rest of the family started immigrating to Hong Kong first. So everyone older than my dad actually all immigrated to Hong Kong before they came to Canada. So everyone older than my dad, all of his cousins and his brothers and everyone all speak Cantonese as well. And they love tripping people out. <laughs> wow. it's, like, it's like the party trip. Um, so, but my dad was the first one who did not want, he didn't want to leave for the job. He actually didn't even want to come to Canada. He just like, was well, no, India's best. I want to stay here. But my family is big believers of no, going outside abroad is the way to go in terms of the hustle and yeah, and, and establishing, you know, strong foundation for the family. So they're lucky enough that was the time that Pierre Trudeau opened up the family immigration. And so they sponsored everybody, anybody <laughs> and brought everyone over. So um, my family's been here for, yeah, and specifically in Mississauga since 72. Growing up, what was your, what were your childhoods like? Like were there um, certain activities that you were, you know, drawn to that you were interested in, um, you know, what were the, the neighborhoods like where you grew up? Yeah, I'll, I'll go first. So I, I always talk like to Rick about this and I explore this in my poem in Milas is that I think I had a really unconventional childhood compared to most kids in Canada is that 
Like, if you were to enter the doors of my house, like, you thought you were a good job. Like, you weren't allowed to speak English. Um, most kids were going to, like, gymnastics and sports, and my mom was, like, Punjabi school every weekend, Gudwara every, every weekend, and on top of that, like, I didn't really do the traditional, like, extracurriculars. I was always in, like, Punjabi plays and Gidda and dance, and they, they, my parents were really adamant about making making sure that I felt as strong a connection to Punjab as they felt because, you know, for them, coming to Canada wasn't just about, it's about, it about leaving everything they knew behind. And so uh, for myself, like, our, our family's, like, culture was so important uh, in terms of keeping it as live as much as possible. So any which way they could, it was Punjabi bowl, let's speak Punjabi, and, and just as much as they could hold on to their, into the, onto their roots. So that's what they instilled in me. Yeah, mine was a little bit opposite. I think, uh, you know, my parents came uh, here and, and, and they, they hit the ground running first. And then they were exposed to, like, my grandfather was very big and adamant of, of um, getting into learning the Canadian culture, learning English, uh, going to, to high schools and learning to go to the, do extracurricular activities like baseball, basketball, um, after school camps and whatnot. And so when I was growing up, uh, I was into, my parents put me into swimming, into skating, uh, soccer. Uh, I would speak English at home, but but I would have to speak Punjabi with my grandma. And so I learned Punjabi as well. And so now when I do speak Punjabi, you know, I can get by with it. Uh, but it's, um, yeah, yeah, no, I'm, pretty, I'm not bad, I'm not bad. But it's, uh, you know, it's, it's because of uh, when we were growing up, I would be speaking Punjabi with my, my grandparents. Uh, and then, you know, on Fridays, we would we we would eat out uh, in the sense that we would have takeout. So KFC, Pizza Hut, McDonald's, you know, I was exposed to all that, all the cartoons growing up watching those. So I was I was kind of the opposite. But I but my parents always, um, you know, taught me Punjabi, taught me uh, the culture, took me to the Gudwara. They, they, they wanted me to also learn uh, my my history, and my culture but it was more of the Canadian side over the Punjabi side. It was kind of a balance, I think, but more of like a 70-30 or 60-40 split. Not yeah, mine yeah. Was like 90 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, So I, I want to talk about two very important people to you guys who have kind of uh, taken you to the places where you guys are now, and that is both of your mothers. They're very influential in your, in your, in your lives. And We've had the pleasure to meet both of them. They're both really wonderful women. But um, how did they influence you? Because obviously, Rick, with you and your food, I'm guessing that's where, that's where you learned it from. And with Jolt, your mom has always been a very influential person within all sorts of arts, right? And, uh, and she was a singer as well. So if you guys can kind of indulge a couple stories of, of your childhood and maybe the things that rubbed off on you guys growing up. I have to say, isn't it like so... I think it's so out of this, out of the world that like both of us work with our moms. Like, I think it's like, so, that's like super unique. And we both have really strong relationships with each other's moms and our own moms. And like, you can see in the path that we've both taken, how influential they have been. Um, for me, like, um, I think my mom knew off the bat that everything that she did, like anything that she was involved with, you know, she was the first Punjabi, um, a female in the in the media here in, in in North America and she broke a lot of barriers in terms of what she did and so I was her little sidekick I would do everything with her so if she was going to be the music director for a play about the Gamagada Maru and travel across Canada I was in the play if she was going to go and do uh, an album and make music videos I was in the music video so she was her, her big thing was always to whatever she was doing is to involve me as well. And I think that was a strong part of our, my foundation uh, and the things I learned. And also uh, I learned professionalism and business from her because um, my, both my, my dad's a cab driver and my mom's uh, an entrepreneur as well. So um, I, learned, I learned business ethics and entrepreneurship from, from, from them and from being always around them and doing everything, literally you write your own paycheck. So that was, that was the way that they both worked. And, um, I think my mom is super instrumental in the way I act now and the way I, I treat business almost like family because it is always is like a family. Yeah. Um, you know, with me growing up, uh, I, I, my mom is the best chef that I know, the best cook that I know, because I, growing up, uh, 
I used to hate eating Punjabi food. And so she would make food with, uh, with burgers and pizzas and pastas and throw that Punjabi twist into it. And so with my parents working, you know, my mom working shift work and my dad working shift work, he was also a cab driver back then as well. And then he would work another job and just, I would see my parents, not always together, but you know, sometimes my mom, sometimes my dad. And you would just see my mom whipping up us lunch, breakfast, dinner uh, quickly because they didn't have much time, but it would, you know, be like a, like a chicken burger with like a chutney in it or, or a pizza, quick pizza. But to me back then, I was just in awe, like how can mom whip up something that we have to call a number and order food for that food to come in because we're so used to Punjabi food. And so she would take our favorite foods and we'd have to call a number anymore and she would just make it at home. Uh, and so I was so intrigued by that. And, um, you know, growing up and just seeing them hustle and, and seeing their workflow and just working together side by side, taking care of my sister and I, I think that it was instilled in me to, to, to always work hard, work honest, uh, you know, earn a, a, a legit paycheck and, um, you know, don't take any shortcuts in life. And, and, you know, they, they, they were paying their bills on time. They were, they were upgrading. I, I remember seeing them going from an apartment to a small house to, to a medium house and just seeing them work and just pay off. You know, they would get like a house or a car and pay it off and then move to the next stop, pay it off. And just, that's kind of instilled in me now. And, and with, with my business, my mom and I's business now as well is just, you know, working hard, being authentic to yourself um, and never losing your integrity when it comes to, uh, with yourself, with your business, with your family or friends around you. Uh, I think that's been instilled in me and, and I'm so grateful for that. Do you remember your first time cooking? Because a lot of moms, a lot of aunties, they can be very strict. Like if you're not doing it right, not doing it by the book, they'll kick you out of the kitchen. It's like, yeah. how, did, how long did it take you to kind of feel comfortable within the kitchen? This is the best story ever, guys. <laughs> Which one is this? The oh, the parante. You want to tell the parante one? Can I tell Yeah, you tell the parante one. I'm going to tell you Yeah, yeah, she tells it better. <laughs> so uh, Rick was supposed to do like a school project. And obviously in pure, you know, kid style, he tells his mom the day before his project is going to be like, first important, this and this. So his mom gets mad and she's like, you knew this project was due and you didn't like do this. So she huffs out to go get pick up all these supplies and she's annoyed. She comes back and she's still annoyed at him because, you know, being super last minute. She's like, mom, can I have aloo Um And he, she's like, no. <laughs> she's like, no, you're eating what I'm going to make you. Like, I'm not making anything special for you. She's already annoyed at him for having to do this whole project with him. So she goes upstairs to cool off and like, you know, good decision. decision. She goes off to cool off from him being so annoying. So while she's upstairs, he's like, well, if you're not going to make it for me, I'm going to make it myself. So he's like 11, 12, 11 or 12 years 12, old. Yeah. And he boils the potatoes, makes it, cooks them, and then starts eating them. Mom <laughs> smells it from upstairs, comes down, and she's like, who made you brote? She's like, I did. <laughs> and that was the way, that's when mom was like, how did this kid who's never made like brote before or made Indian food just make brote for the first time? But mom always says that you always kind of I've always had an interest and always been in the kitchen and yeah. always was the helper. So if he was in the kitchen, he was in the kitchen on the TV, be like, Oh, do you need help? So, um, he was always kind of in the kitchen, but that was the first time he did something completely on his own. And you know, it was crazy. It was crazy because growing up, you would see all the women in the kitchen and just, they're just having a jolly time making like a hundreds and hundreds of samosas. And they're making all this food for the, for the men tea and the family tea. And you see the men in the other room, just, hanging out, talking politics and talking about work and just, you know, and you see these women just, you know, having a good time and singing and laughing. I was like, that seems more fun than that. So I'm going to go hang out with the ladies. And, see. and I used to get fed, like I used to taste food as I was going. So it was more fun for me. So that's kind of how I got into the kitchen. It was just, it was just a fun uh, experience for me growing up. <laughs> and how did you know what to do? Like, you know, like I hung around my mom, but it wasn't until I got way older that I even dared to like turn on anything. Well, like, what, like was it, was it just like from visually seeing her doing it and you just kind of copying that? What was it? Exactly. Like, I mean, I didn't do any door cut to the potatoes. I just took the potatoes <laughs> and put salt and put it in, in the, in the parota itself. So, I mean, I, she forgot to mention it, it tastes horrible, <laughs> um, but I made it, but it was just watching my mom over the years of just kind of, you know, mashing up potatoes, putting into the roti and rolling it up and it, it was a mess, but it was just, yeah, just visually just always watching her and just helping her. It's and like synthesis, uh, right? Like if you're around it enough, yeah, maybe it absorbs. It absorbs. Like, and that's how I yeah. learn now is like, you know, I, 
till this day, if I want to learn to make something, I just visually go look at the recipe and watch a video. And I've, I know how to make it. And I just kind of come up with my own uh, recipe. So I do that same thing till this day. I'm very visual. I'm a visual learner in that sense. Uh, and nice. I think it was just instilled in me since I was a kid. Yeah. So like, uh, I, I actually got my mom uh, to, to message Raj auntie, which is Jot's mom. And uh, just to like, you know, get a little funny stories and stuff like that about how Jot was growing <laughs> yeah. up. Let, let's tell everyone that our moms are actually besties. That's why they are besties, <laughs> honestly. Uh, it is so cute to hear them talking and the way my mom talks, talks about your mom with admiration. Like it's, it's such a beautiful thing. Even the way she talks about Jot, like Jot, you are an angel in her eyes. So it's like you can't do no wrong but uh w- one of the things that that i had picked up like i had a combo with my mom after she talked to your mom and she was just like jolt was very like independent from a very er- er- like very early on meaning like you would do things you wouldn't ask about doing them you would just do them and then afterwards you would tell your parents oh i pulled this off right so it's like where like how did that kind of like that confidence at our early age come from I, okay so i think this has to do with like a cultural thing is that you know, like, no offense, but boys are, like, fretted over when when you're in in the Punjabi culture. And because my brother was fretted over, I just kind of like, okay, I'm just going to do my own thing. And it it, it gave me my independence because um, I I like to do things myself. And I think it's also, like, a natural thing. I think when I was super little, um, I was always kind of the boss in the group. I was always, like, really bossy and always really knew what I wanted. Um, And so that also comes from my mom to be honest like she is also like supremely independent i i i remember at 11 years old my mom didn't want to pay someone for the construction of the house so she took out all the carpet upstairs and all of our rooms laid parquet floors by herself no help she's tiled the house she's wallpaper like so i i grew up around a woman who was consistently never waiting because my dad worked long hours and you know, super tight budgets, you know, we weren't really well off growing up at all. So you have to kind of do what you need to do. And I'm the same way. I think the independence also comes from the same with my mom through impatience. I'm not waiting around for somebody else to come around and help me. So you just jump right in. And that translates over to like my work as well is that um, whenever I want to come towards a project or I want to do something, I never, I, I don't, want to wait for permission from somebody like especially when it comes to creation and um being artistic when you're looking for permission then that's taking away half the art like half the fun of art is just doing it and then seeing what comes out of it Mm -hmm. and also like again as a teenage girl rebel thing if i asked for permission i was not gonna get it so i'd rather the answer was always no (laughs) yeah absolutely it's always no and then i had to like like plead my case so I'd rather just do it and be like, oh, by the way, did this. It's way easier to ask for forgiveness. Yeah. <laughs> that's actually a very important thing it's like the, the the more you can talk yourself out of it you won't do it rather than jumping headfirst into something right as a as a young kid you can tend to be like oh i shouldn't do this i shouldn't do that and even your parents can talk you out of stuff right not a, not because they don't love you just because you know you got to be realistic sometimes mm-hmm. right but you know the greatest things comes out of out of just doing it and taking a risk right absolutely yeah. jumping Jumping and then looking. Yeah. <laughs> um, Joe, I had a question for you. So one thing that we've discussed on our show in the past is how, you know, through migration, a lot of like for our parents' generation, for example, like a lot of them had to give up their arts when they got here because they had to work. They had to take care of the family. There was a lot of additional responsibility that was put upon them. Um, but your mom is unique in the sense that she's always kind of stayed up with her poetry, with her singing, with her organizing. You know, I just kind of, kind of wonder, like, what influence did being around art have on you and your pursuit of arts? And was there ever any resistance? Like you mentioned, your mom was very strong, very independent um, from, from other figures, whether in the family or in the community. Was there ever any resistance around her because of the fact that she was so kind of strong-willed and wanted to do her own thing? I think the reason why um, I'm so passionate about being in the arts is that because it was a fight. You know, if it, if it came easy, if being an artist was so easy, then, you know, it, it would have been, I feel like a lot more people would have come, come through that in my parents' generation and not gone back to it as a hobby as they do now. Like, I find my mom and her friends and um, not to go say, like, that group of women 
that my mom is involved with now, they came to it so late in their life. And I always imagine like, oh, imagine they had had the, the tenacity and the resources to have fought for their art as my mom did. So my mom actually had a ton of resistance um, and she's extremely lucky, just like I do have an incredible ally in my husband. My mom, my dad is a huge ally. He may not be artistic, but my dad is like a lover of the arts in such a big way. So if it hadn't been for his support, there was no way for my mom to have pursued the arts. So um, when she wanted to sing, um, my, my dad's family, who was her Sore family, which she was living in here uh, in Canada, was her, her in-laws, they were so against it. Because for them, when they saw a female singing, it was the local singers who would come and sing dirty songs in the thick. It wasn't what my mom knew as being art, which was, you know, reshma and guzzles and folk art, that's what she, was, who she was thinking of. And she felt so taken aback that, you know, this is the kind of art I want to make. I want to do something that's so, so beautiful and needs to stay alive because she already at that time saw Punjabi folk culture dwindling in the, in the 90s in, in, in all over India and Canada. And she's like, we don't do this something now. She felt the urgency to upkeep Punjabi culture then. And um, because my dad is a big, he didn't know any of these things. And my mom taught him all these things about Punjabi art. He was able to be an ally. So, you know, she's had, um, when she wanted to do a religious album, she put her posters up uh, at uh, the Gutwara and they were ripped down by my dad's own brother. You know, when um, she wanted to release her first album, nobody in the entire family showed up other than one of her, my, my dad's brothers, we came. And, you know, over and over again, it was always uh, resistance from that side being, saying that this is disrespectful. Arts are not um, what women, the spaces where women, women should occupy. And, and you know, in some spaces, they were correct. My mom had to really protect herself in what kind of spaces she was in and how she presented herself in what kind of arena she allowed herself to perform. So I think that was also her, why I was also her sidekick is that her having her daughter with her automatically put her into a space where I will only perform and um, be in places that are safe for women and children, you know? Mm -hmm. And, you know, coming from a culture that does have unsafe spaces for women, um, that was her first thing. So when she started her female singing group that was specifically so that she could continue singing but be in all female spaces actually so uh in Punjabi communities we have something called Fiyan which is an all-female festival that happens actually nowadays it's actually Fiyan right now these days right now in August and so she started doing these festivals all across North America she would go to Yuba City and Salt Lake City and uh, Texas and all across Canada just performing at Fiyan because she felt safe in all women's spaces and that was she created solutions for herself. So she knew she wanted to pursue art. And that's, and then so that she, she created her own path because that was the path that she was, she felt comfortable doing while still maintaining the sort of ideas of respect and honor within her family. Yeah, salute to your mom for, you know, she, she, she did, she had an uphill battle going this whole time. And like, I know the story of, very well just through my mom and just just hearing you know all, all the things that she's been through and uh one thing that she had mentioned to my mom was how important uh you and your father was to her during that time because um like you said it, it can be hard to continue your passions when there's constantly people who are pushing against it right it can put doubts in your own mind so then having a support system like your own daughter and 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 her own family just being like no like you know if this is what makes you happy then you go for it right and i'm sure that is why you are the woman that you are right now as well is just seeing such a powerful woman a woman in front of you and just you know pushing along so uh, salute to to rajanti and salute to you as well thank you i think another thing i think you guys can also like relate to this as independent artists is that you know, when you want to create, you're putting it from your own pocket. Like you, if you want to do something, there's no, there's no imaginary angel investor around you who's going to be like, it's going to drop some money into your account so you can go for recording sessions for that plane ticket to go make music videos. You know, it was a lot of, it was self-funded. So you really need to love this and someone who's with you really needs to believe in you mm -hmm. to put your hard earned cash into a, what most would consider a hobby. Um, yeah. but when you're an independent artist, you push as hard as you can until you get to a point where you don't have to, you don't have to self-fund. 
and for some that ne that time never comes and it's always going to be a hobby and I find that a lot of the people who are in the Punjabi community uh, locally uh, in the GTA that's how they look at art for them the the art they create is a seva it's a selfless service they're doing for their community to continue a culture that will go away if you don't self you know if you don't self-fund it so um coming from that perspective of you have to put your money where your mouth is that's kind of the thing that they had to do that's amazing uh rick i really i really want to get into uh recipe to riches like you know it's uh talking about investing in yourself like you you, you won this 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 tv show and kind of kick-started everything that that has uh that has happened with rick's good eats so can you kind of get into that story a little bit of what even made you sign up for this? <laughs> so I remember exactly. We were sitting uh, in our old house with our parents and Jolt and I were in the basement. It was like two in the morning and we're watching Food Network and this ad came on for, you know, home cooks. This is your chance to show off your dish. Apply now for season two of Rescue to Riches. The first thing I said to Joel was season two? Where was season one and how come we didn't apply for it? <laughs> so uh, right away we applied uh, up for the show and we got a call a week later and the producers called they loved our story uh, and uh and uh, and so they invited us into audition for the uh, for the for the show and so you know for the addition you got to take in a, a one dish uh, and there's seven different categories of desserts entrees appetizers i entered into entrees and i had about five or six different ideas of what i wanted to submit and then we locked it down to the butter chicken lasagna um, because it was the best of both worlds. And I think it just explains my story and, and, and all of our stories growing up and being uh, Canadian, Punjabi Canadian, whatever it is, Jamaican Canadian, whatever you are, but you're Canadian and your identity is, you know, your background is where you're from. And so I thought, you know what, this is the best of both worlds. In Brampton, you know, waking up on Sunday morning, you'd, I'd have Italian neighbors making tomato sauce, my Jamaican neighbors making jerk chicken and us making, you know, and dal and sabji and so um i came up with butter chicken lasagna we took it in and uh, they said it was the best thing that they have ever ever tried since uh, with with all the recipes coming in and then it just it just progressed they called me for the second edition um and then i got chosen for the show and uh you know long story short we did the show recipe to riches and after winning that um actually even before winning that i remember going out and you know the first round was you win there's three people in your in your competition and your in your category sorry and so you have to be the first place winner in that category when you win um your product gets launched all over canada as a president's choice product and i remember both of you guys came out to that product launch and you guys you know tried out the lasagnas you bought some lasagnas uh which was amazing and uh and so after that, then all of Canada votes for the top seven people in the, in the, in the competition uh, for the first place winner to, to win this whole competition. And it was crazy. It was two and a half days of voting and all of Canada just got together. It was like I was running for prime minister of Canada. Like, <laughs> and you know, like our, our Punjabi people are just so politically like driven. And so it was like, you know, flyers and newspapers and radios and, you my know, dad was in his cab, like anyone who's in his cab can vote for my son. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like handing out free samples. Fry, yeah. <laughs> and so it was beautiful to see, you know, the community come together and, and just trying to get this Punjabi kid that just loves food uh, into the grocery stores and now into uh, this first place winner. And, and so when I won, it was not just a win for me, but it was a win for the whole community. And, uh, you know, we, I like to say that I was one of the first people to put Punjabi food on the map because it was, it was something that everyone could relate to. You know, that's what my food does. It's, it's, it's something that everyone can relate to. Everyone knows what a cheeseburger is, but do you know what a Punjabi cheeseburger is? And then people get curious, like, what's Punjabi? What's Punjab? What's Sikhi? What's this? What's like, where are you from? They start questioning, right? And so butter chicken lasagna, I love lasagna. I think butter chicken goes amazingly with lasagna. We put that out there. And, you know, some Italians got a little upset when we first said it, but then they tried it and they're like, this is actually pretty good. So uh, it was, um, yeah, it was just, it was a beautiful thing. And then everything followed after that was just beautiful. It was, it was us deciding on what we want to do with our lives. You know, we had a, we had a nice cushion and we invested into the glass museum. Uh, we, we managed a few artists uh, and, 
did a bunch of shows for the arts and uh, and it was something that we we're both passionate about and you guys performed at our first show ever that's right oh, that was yeah. that was our very first zoo baby show too zoo baby show yeah. oh it was amazing i remember just jumping up and down and like, crying. <laughs> oh, it was so cool and then um but yeah we just we you know we we went from from investing in ourselves and i think you know a lot of people ask me what did you do with that money that you won with and i think you know it was just investing in ourselves investing in artists around us trying to put our name on the map uh, our, our people on the map um and just showing to people that it, you don't have to take the conventional way to uh to do to become a chef to become an artist to uh, become a singer you can take a different route like when we did our first ever uh, art show and a music in a, in, a, in a gallery which you, guys were at. which you guys were at it was for inquisitive and we had no idea what we were doing i mean we just looked online we kind of we've been to galleries we've been to other places but we're like we're gonna do this the way that we think is the coolest the best way to to showcase this artist this art artist like you guys um ourselves and if you like it amazing if you don't well you know what thank you so much for coming We'll have another show in a year from now. You guys are more than welcome to come. But if you don't like it, it's all good because we're not looking to to produce this for the masses. We're looking for for a quality over quantity, right? And uh, and it was more uh, of and you know in Glass Museum we have a saying called honest art. You know, you put your your full heart out there and you do what you love, whether that be in food or in singing and dance or whatever it is. But if you're honest with yourself, um, the art you create is honest. Then then you will attract people that are honest just like you and and uh, that's all you need you know you don't need millions and millions of fans you just need the 10,000 hundreds of fans that will keep you going and and keep that fire lit uh, and just love what you do so yeah it was um, I think from like both of our perspectives from, from my speed riches and everything as yeah. well as that like and even now with Rick's Good Eats like people feel an ownership over Rick's Good Eats that it might be Rick's name on the board but it feels like it's my plot you know, mm-hmm. and yeah. that makes us so happy because when someone feels represented, even if it's through food or through music or anything, then you feel like you're creating a sense of community. And that's honestly like we we know that community is everything. Like it is who we are, it's where we come from, but it's also where we're going and what we want to continue to be a part of. And I think we have this thing constantly in our minds of okay. How, how, how can we give back? How do we how do we stay engaged within our within our community? And we're lucky enough to have us have a physical brick and mortar place like like Brick City to be able to engage with people. Um, that's that's probably the best that's come out of our experience is actually having a physical space. Like for yeah. me to do art shows there and doing open mics there. Like it's been so great. Yeah, we have such a strong community behind us. Like it's you know after after COVID, uh, when we reopened, it was. The most beautiful thing because we had people coming from four or five six years ago that have heard of rick's good eats that have been with us since the beginning and just wanted to support you know and uh, it was and, like their first time being out since the lockdown too and they were like super nervous to be there yeah you, could tell everyone you know scared, yeah we were they nervous they were nervous that. and yeah they came to support and they said you know this is the first time they were coming up but we're coming up because we know that you're taking the safety measures and we want to support and you know, it's just it's it's a beautiful thing that we've we've created there because it's such a hub for everyone to come in and and be a safe place to to enjoy good eats to uh, you know have uh, festivals there or or or, or um, just just be you you know and uh, and eat good food and eat good food yeah <laughs> great food great food yes, <laughs> yes. thank you. You know, going from recipe to riches to, like you mentioned, now having a, a physical brick and mortar location, what have been some what have been some of the challenges with know finding new ways to level up or finding new ways to just expand your scope wow <laughs> this is like I, literally something we go through every single day it's like, it's yeah. like you know like when you have like like you're triggered like oh crap so, <laughs> so quick this is my life it's it's you know it's um it's it's we want to we want to grow rick's goodies and we're, we're always looking at the best ways to grow and I remember the first year that we opened, everyone's like, you got to franchise this, you got to franchise this, you get out of 100 locations. I could have franchised it. I had a bunch of investors and I, you know, if I had franchised then, I, I'd be, uh, who knows, 50 locations, 100 locations worldwide. Um, but we didn't do that because we want to stay true to ourselves. We want to make sure that the brand and the quality of food doesn't get diluted, um, you know, I will do it all slowly, uh, but surely. 
um, with the right measures and the right play in mind. And, you know, every day there's a challenge, you know, as an entrepreneur, um, there's, there's, there's always going to be a challenge with a restaurant. I've, I, I've, ne- I don't come from a restaurant background. I've never opened up a restaurant. I've worked at a restaurant for two weeks, my whole life as a dishwasher. And I quit because I was like 15. I was like, I'm not doing this. And, uh, I didn't like it. And, uh, you know, I have no experience whatsoever, but you know, the first year of opening, it was the most challenging thing because number one, you're working with family. Uh, and you have, uh, yeah, it was my mom, Joe, my sister, my Masi. And, and that was it. And my dad and, uh, and we opened up and uh, we got busier and busier. And um, every single day I'm learning and I'm growing and there's challenges and fires to be put out. Uh, but I think now we've come to a point where we know that we want to grow. And the biggest challenge is how do we grow without losing the authenticity with train, staying true to our brand and ourselves? And it comes back to honest art, how to put out honest art and honest food and honest flavors uh, and not diluting, you know, not cutting, I, not cutting corners you know i want it to be authentic as possible but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna uh, you know if it's too much turka in a flavor uh too much spices or, or not spices but if people say you know you should do it like this but not like that well no i'm gonna do it the way that i'm gonna do it and if you like it that's amazing if you don't then maybe we're not for you but that's the mentality that i have going into this and i'm gonna keep doing that because uh we've built something that's that's good and uh and you know you just as, as running an operations in a brand, just stay authentic and true to yourself and, um, and people will follow. People will. And, and just to get back to like yeah. the, the scaling part of it. Oh yeah, scaling, yeah. Um, I've seen the way you come at problems and that is when you hit a wall, then you build a ladder. So yeah. it's hard mm-hmm. to anticipate things, changes when you don't know what's going to come up ahead of you. And so every time we've had to implement new systems or scale up or change the way we do things is because we've hit a wall and it's it, it'd be great if we could foreshadow what's about to come up but that's not the reality of most businesses the reality of most businesses is that you hit a you hit a wall and now you got to figure out how to get over it and the thing is that understand that there's gonna be more walls coming so whatever changes you do at that point they're going to be long lasting and they're going to make sure that they they're not coming up again yeah so i think once yeah. you deal with something you deal with it and it's never dealt with again because you already have the systems in place so I think every time, like, say we were the first time we had to hire somebody, we had to like, oh, we have, we need, we need to screen them. We need to like the, the simple thing. Reference checks. We, like. <laughs> like, reference checks. We, need, yeah. we need to do HR. Like we only had family you hired before. So just like these things, you don't under, you don't know you need them until it comes up. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great way uh, from an entrepreneur perspective to come at problems because then you're not wasting money to be honest. And honestly, like as an entrepreneur, it's tight ship. You have to run a tight ship. Yeah. And like, you know, running the restaurant, I don't, uh, if you go to a corporate restaurant, you see all those systems in play and we've kind of just piggybacked off those and made our own systems. And, and I, I like to always think five years ahead or, you know, a month ahead or have backup plans set in place. So if something happens, well, I can kind of dip into my, my little five-year plan and see what changes I, I need to make to, to grow. Uh, and just always having that kind of that that mentality just to keep you strong and, and, and energized and just like the energy buddy just keep going that sounds so cheesy but i just <laughs> <get up. laughs> um what like um when you were coming up with like the the menu and stuff like that like what was that challenging at all because obviously like butter chicken lasagna like you think that people would have thought about that, but you know, we didn't like, you know, thankfully we have Rick to, to bring that to, to the world. Right. But it was like, once you kind of had that, like, like what did you, what else did you like think of during that time? And like, was there challenges challenges in making it like a feasible dish to like, you know, sell? Yeah. So, I mean, these recipes have been with me for a very long time. I mean, I've got books and books of just recipes that are just sitting like yeah <laughs> it's just <laughs> from years and years like but to to execute the i mean and an idea is an idea but i mean to execute a proper recipe it's very challenging because for an example butter chicken lasagna you have to have the best butter chicken and you have to have the best lasagna and to scale that you have to make sure that they really go well together like anyone could take butter chicken and lasagna and smash it together but really is it going to taste good? Is the texture going to be good? Is it too much sweetness? Does it resemble a rosé sauce? Does it have the right texture of a cheese? Like, there's so many things to be played with. So Punjabi cheeseburger, for example, you know, 
I wanted a cheeseburger. I love, I grew up eating cheeseburgers. And if you go to, you know, Sonny's in Brampton, you have a good cheeseburger. You're like, okay, this is a really good cheeseburger, right? So you want to have that same feeling when you're biting into a Punjabi cheeseburger, not too overpowering. Taste like a cheeseburger. The texture's there like a cheeseburger. It, the, the juices flow out like a cheeseburger, but it tastes like a Punjabi cheeseburger. It's like a kebab in a, like we describe it as a kebab in a burger with cheese, lettuce, tomatoes, and all that. Um, so yeah, it is very difficult to, to really take best of both worlds and put it together because, you know, we're, we are literally developing two recipes in one. Like at a restaurant, we'll just develop one recipe. We're taking two recipes, we're putting into one, and then we're putting it out. So a lot of our, our recipes take three months to develop sometimes. Uh, our tandoori fried chicken took me three months just to come down with the batter because I want to resemble uh, KFC batter. So uh, good, and I wanted to, yeah, <laughs> it's one of my favorite things, but it took us so long and I'm still to this day making minor adjustments. So it's just that right consistency. So when that customer takes it home, um, it's still crunchy and crispy and flavorful. So yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's a fun thing to do, but it's, you know, a lot of people think it's, it's very easy. Um, but if you're going to do it the right way, then it's not easy, you know? I think to add to what you're saying, and I think this has to do with both of our fields you know, if someone told you how much percent of you is Canadian or Norwegian and how much of you is Punjabi, you know, yeah. like you're not going to be like, I'm 35 percent. Like, you're not going to say <laughs> that. Like, you cannot differentiate. It's not oil and water. And mm -hmm. so we, you come at that in terms of all parts of your life. You know, when people talk about fusion cooking, it sounds like such like a, they call it the F word in, in, in the restaurant world because yeah. People think it's like such a fad and it's so over, but that's because they don't actually understand that I am a fusion. Like mm -hmm. there's, there's no way of separating what part of me is Punjabi, what part of me is Canadian. The and the, of and the same thing with the, with the food, we don't come at it as, oh, this part is Punjabi, this part's Canadian and we're gonna squash. It has to feel like a perfect meld of both because that's what we are. It's not, you can't separate out what's Punjabi and what's what's Canadian out of it. And I think that's what the way you come at recipes and how we generally come out at life is mm -hmm. that you can't separate it. It's, it's all one thing. Yeah. It's, 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 it's its own thing in terms of what, how we think of ourselves in the diaspora. Well, well, very well said. Yeah, really <laughs> well said. Yeah. That's I've, why I do the PR, guys. That's why she's the word behind everything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tandoori bacon too. Oh my God. <laughs> so good. Oh man, I remember when uh, when I developed that like a long time ago, I put it together and my friends were over and they just, they, they lost their mind. They loved it. <laughs> and the when the prime minister came to the restaurant, the first thing he said was, ah, tandoori vacant. And he, he recognized it right away. And it was so cool because it's, 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 it's just regular bacon, but it's got that beautiful flavor of tandoori in it. And it just kind of, it, it's like you said, the best of all worlds, that fusion element of it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Uh, Harjot, I want to talk a little bit about uh, your latest project, uh, Newest Magazine. Yeah. Uh, congrats. First, actually, congrats on the release of the very first congrats. issue. Thank you. I can't take, I can't take any credit, guys. <laughs> I, I, I'm just so, I'm like, there's like this meme. I'm just happy to be here. That's literally what I feel like. Because like, with Newest, um, it's like as someone who's loved the arts for such a long time in my life, and like, I, I keep thinking like 17-year-old Jot would have, loved having something like this you know and that's the part about newest is what why why it was made is that it's for the communities that feel underrepresented and underserved in institutions Canadian institutions and specifically art and culture institutions that's why it was made so I'm so excited to be a part of it mm -hmm. can, can you talk a little bit about you know what was the philosophy or the mindset behind the creation of newest and kind of what were some of those experiences that where people kind of felt outcasted or didn't feel part of the system that made them want to create something brand new for themselves. Yeah, so newest, um, the main prerogative and the main mission of newest is to create inclusivity and, and to be representative of the real Canada. You know, a lot of the times when people in the mainstream and media talk about um, immigrant perspectives, they talk about it as almost like we're visitors. And it's taking that context out. Like, it's we've been here. We've been making our own mm -hmm. art. We've been, we've, this is not new, you know, you're the one who's coming in as the, the new one experiencing what we've been doing. So I think it was taking that perspective out, that very um, colonizer perspective and bringing it back to the people and to the actual creatives. That's what it's about. So um, I, I do, truly do believe that what we're trying to do with the first edition is a lot of the sort of 
incredibly creative minds right now in Canada from all different perspectives, all walks of life, all different mediums are contributing. And then also the conversations we're having are ones that are really challenging the norm in the art world. So um, Raji Ojala, who's the editor in chief and the creator of and the founder of Newest. Um, She's amazing. She's, you know, um, she's been through it in terms of being from the institution perspective, you know, and so from being the only brown person, the only colored person, the person of color in the room a lot of the times to now being like, you know, I'm, I, I'm done watering it down. I'm done changing the perspective um, to make it feel comfortable for people that the, the art, like art shouldn't be compartmentalized or boxed in any way. And I think that's what Nukes was trying to create space for that. It's that, this is art in its truest form and in the most expressive form it's because it's, it's real and there's none of that oh this is from a something like it, it, it doesn't have that preamble you're just creating art to make art yeah what kind of went into the creation of it why did you feel like a magazine was the most effective platform for this type of messaging yeah i think um we can all i think it's it's quite clear to me that the internet is like the greatest equalizer in the world in terms of proliferation of information. So all of us are able to really just Google anything and just be on the internet and be able to access information. And why does art have to be so exclusive? Because it is, uh, art can be quite exclusive in terms of where art is housed and the sort of the feeling around visiting a museum. So uh, it becoming a publication is also creating conversations around art. And then on the other side is releasing it digitally is making it accessible because it should be accessible. It should be um, able for anyone to be able to pick it up and read it and learn about what's happening in the art world in Canada. Who are the people creating in Canada? What, what other new perspectives are ones I haven't even heard about? Um, who is expressing something through film? Who's doing it through you know 3D printing? Who's doing it through um, all these different lenses? And Sheena uh, Bhattacharya is the art director and she's totally killed it because you know experiencing art like if you're at a show like you guys know this in musical if you're at a show that's a different experience mm-hmm. taking that perspective and that experience of being in a show and then taking it online there's always a disconnect there you know mm-hmm. and the same thing with going to museum i've seen like online museums and honestly like it's like lagging it's like it's not quite good like it's always a disconnect so the, the platform was created specifically for you to be able to consume art digitally, which is, I think is really difficult to do. So um, I think beyond the amazing and the caliber of editors and writers and uh, contributors to the magazine, the actual way we're consuming the magazine is so cool. That's awesome. Um, so where, where can people check out Newest? Yeah, go to newest.co, N-E-W-E-S-T dot C-O, or you can follow us on Instagram, newest, newest, newest. And um, we're just so excited to keep putting things out and keep building. And I'm, again, I'm so excited. I'm, I just came on as editor, so I'm just like super excited yeah. to be a part of the team <laughs> and just be able to contribute. Because honestly, um, you know, when you don't feel heard for such a long time and finally someone's like, hey, like put the mic in front of your face, you're like, give it to me <laughs> you, want, you want to just talk maybe it's just my the way i am but <laughs> I, i'm excited to have the mic yeah uh, we're uh, we're, we're both very proud of you guys and you know you represent our culture so well out there and you know we've been fans of you guys we've been friends of you guys and, and that, that will never change so you know it's 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 good to have this talk uh, with you but uh as we're kind of ending off here uh noise anything else you want to get to yeah so as we like to do with every episode of our podcast we like to close the episode by having everybody on the show just name one thing that they're grateful for it could be a person in your life could be an object in your life just any energy that you want to honor today Ooh, that's a hard one <laughs> I don't know. put you on the spot I'll, I'll, I'll start. I'm, I'm, I, because we're talking about all this and, and even our experience and our parents and you know grandparents coming here and setting the ways for us. I'm grateful for my my grandfather who came here in 1974 or five and just paved that foundation for us. You know, if it wasn't for him and his hard work and his hustle, you know, we wouldn't be maybe we might not even be sitting here talking today. So uh, you know, just so grateful for that hard work that he put in, that my family put in, uh, and that now we it's our turn to put in. And that legacy that we're going to leave for the next generation 
to put in as well. So yeah, that's, that's, that's what I'm grateful for. <laughs> um, I'm going to be super cheesy guys and I'm going to say him. You messed up Rick. Going back to acting my dad and like, you know, being able to like, when you want to take a path that's unconventional, um, you need to have somebody who believes in your dreams and actually thinks that your dreams are their dreams. And just like that whole oil and water thing, it's got to feel like, oh, your wins are my wins kind of thing. And I think um, being like-minded and, you know, both being very unconventional with how we want to do things and how we live our lives in terms of um, not ticking all the boxes that people assume that like a married couple is like, we, I'm very appreciative that I have an ally and like uh, the cheerleader, but also uh, accountability and uh, um, uh, someone who helps me grow. Um, that's not possible unless your, your partner is your biggest ally. So. <laughs> nice nice very well said yeah noise what do you got um hmm. i would say i'm i'm grateful for uh my in-laws um okay. yeah yeah they've you know they've been just super welcoming of me and of my family you know pretty much ever since um i was introduced to the family and you know they're just they're close by too, which is really awesome. Uh, they live very close to where we live. So it's always great to, to go there, hang out with them, uh, you know, cook with them, watch sports with them, just kind of just chill. It feels like having a, a second family, which is, which is beautiful. And, you know, I feel like it's just been, it's just been seamless with the way the families have integrated. Um, just having that extra support has been great. Beautiful. Very well said. Um, I'm grateful and thankful for the OGs, the pioneers, everybody who came before us within our culture. As many of us know, the fields that we're in, there weren't many pioneers in that or people that we could look to with a blueprint, right? And now we're seeing, you know, brown kids as TikTokers, YouTubers, and this, that. And that wasn't necessarily a go-to job for people of our culture before, right? So like the raw junkies of the world who, you know, create spaces for a person like my mom, who was a, a speech writer and a, and a poet all her life growing up, but tucked it away because she had to work jobs and provide for her kids. You know, now as, as she's become retired, now, like, that's all she does is get back to her poetry. And, you know, people like Rajanti has, has made those spaces for people to feel comfortable to kind of dig up those, those uh, talents that have kind of been suppressed for all those years, right? And I feel like just even with our generation, just, you know, taking the risk and being in the arts when necessarily, realistically, our parents would be like, go pick a job that is more financially stable, we still do it and it's it goes back to that rebel thing like you know it's just because we really are passionate about these things so i feel like it's very important for us to remember that we also got to put that kind of hand backwards and and pick the kids mm -hmm. up and kind of show them that yeah this is possible you know obviously it takes a lot of work to become talented at something but if you put the work in there is some type of form of success in whatever field you want to be in so i feel like that, that is kind of one of the reasons we started this show was to just showcase people's stories that not a lot of us had the blueprints, but like you guys said, you, sometimes you just got to dive in and see what happens, right? So shout out to the OGs, shout out to us, and shout out to everybody that comes after us. Well said, well man. <laughs> yeah. So just well, before we wrap up, where can people connect with you on social media? Uh, so you can check me out at Rick Matharu on Instagram. Uh, and if you're feeling really hungry, then Rick's Good Eats. Uh, so that's where you can find me. <laughs> and I'm at Harjo Truman on uh, Instagram. And you can also follow us at the Glitfax Museum. Yes, sir. And if people want to pick up, uh, you know, a Punjabi cheeseburger or butter chicken lasagna, where can they, where can they do that? So you guys can come to the restaurant. We're at Triple uh, Six Zero Kennedy Road in Mississauga, or you can just order online, ricksgoodeats.ca. And then, yeah, come by, say what's up. I'm usually there. Uh, so I'd love to see everyone that comes in and uh, say what's up. And uh, yeah, you'll uh, literally go home with 
a bunch of good eats, but then you'll need a nap after that because that's just <laughs> what good food does. Yeah. <laughs> it it so, is some of the best comfort food I've ever had in my life. So oh, trust me, you. you will need the thank nap you. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's important to support local. Yeah, yes, definitely. 100%. Yeah. So just before we wrap up, uh, Meta continues this Thursday with a virtual concert starting at 8.30 p.m. on Facebook Live, Twitch, and YouTube. It will feature performances by Apollo Architect, Collage, Spitty, and Sophia Fly. And it will be followed by a Twitch after party with Avery Dark and Introspect Spinning Tunes. For more details, check out metaartsfest.ca. Uh, Rick, Joth, we want to thank you both so much for joining us. Really appreciate your time and your insights. You know, we hope, uh, we hope you guys stay healthy, stay safe in the midst of this pandemic. And once again, thank you so much. Guys, thank you so much for having us and keep doing what you guys are doing. This is amazing. Like we've, we've seen your past shows and it's just, it's, it's a beautiful thing to be going into to the immigrant experience and seeing where our families have come from to where we are to where we're going in the future. So keep doing what you guys are doing and we're always there to support you guys. I just wanted to add one thank thing you. is that we're doing lived history right now. You know, we may not be in the history books yet, but we are a lived history. And so we're really excited to be able to do that with you guys. Most definitely. With that being said, this has been another episode of the Immigrant Hustle podcast. Okay.